Good morning. We have two readings this morning. The first one is from Isaiah chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And then from Matthew chapter 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Belinda. So those are the two uh, set readings for this third Sunday of Advent. We'll be focusing mainly on uh, Isaiah chapter 35. But let's pray first of all. Father God, thank you that uh, the words of Scripture tell, us, tell a story, a story of transformation, 
a story of your faithfulness, a story of hope and new life. Help us to hear what you would say to us this morning through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, good morning to those who are watching at home as well. It's uh, great to be able to gather together as we worship. Psalm 137 is a psalm of lament. It's quite despairing in parts as the people of Israel reflect on their experience of exile in Babylon after the destruction of Jerusalem in 597 BC. It's the psalm that contains those words, by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down. Now, looking around, a significant proportion of us are old enough to remember a song that contained those words. In 1978, Boney M's version of this psalm, Psalm 137, was top of the singles charts for five weeks. It still ranks as the seventh best-selling single of all time in the UK. I find that rather extraordinary. <laughs> Not disparaging the works of Boney M. <laughs> but the lyrics, which are based almost entirely on this psalm from the Old Testament, a psalm of lament, an unlikely lyric to capture the mood of a nation. And in that psalm, one of the verses that really stands out to me is verse 4, which says, How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? When you're feeling disheartened, far from home, and alienated. Well, for many uh, Christians today in this country, there's a sense of exile. We're not physically exiled like the Israelites were, but we might lament the eroding of Christian values in society. We might find ourselves as the only Christian in our workplace or living on our streets. We might be fearful of being mocked if we express a particular view on one of the big issues of the day that doesn't fit with contemporary thinking. We may have been alarmed by the census statistics released 10 days ago, which showed a rapid decline in those identifying as Christians. Whilst the nuns, those who don't identify with any faith community, the number of those has tripled since the turn of millennium to 37% of the population. Now, our experience of exile is like nothing compared to that of the Israelites. It's like nothing compared to that of millions of people today who are exiled from their homelands and living as refugees or seeking asylum. But it's still okay for us to acknowledge that sometimes we can feel like we're living in exile. If we're feeling a little bit insecure, if we're fearful about the future, if we're discouraged and disorientated in post-Christian Britain, we need to ask the same question as the exiles in Psalm 137. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Because my observation would be that for many, there's some degree of loss of confidence, 
Not necessarily in the gospel itself, but in speaking up and speaking out. We can be wary of putting our heads above the parapet in the workplace, in places of leisure, in society in general. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And I want to draw out three responses to that question from Isaiah chapter 35. A chapter full of hope after a chapter of abject despair. I'm very pleased that we didn't read Isaiah 34 this morning because it's miserable. But Isaiah 35 comes after it and offers renewed hope. It's a chapter of redemption, of renewal, of restoration and of release. A vision of what will be to lift spirits and to inspire confidence in those who are living in exile. The Israelites in Babylon certainly needed that, and so do Christians in the West today. So how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Well, first of all, we can hold on to God's promises. Isaiah 35 is a multi-layered prophecy. It points towards a time when Israel's fortunes will be restored. Their experience of exile will not last forever. They will see the glory of the Lord. And in the first couple of verses, the prophet reminds them of God's abundance, using examples of places well known to them. So he makes reference to Lebanon, with its snow-capped mountains, its snow-fed mountain streams and its cedar forests. To Carmel, on the Mediterranean Sea coast, with abundant rain and verdant growth. And to Sharon, the coastal plain with its fertile fields and flowers. He's making the point, what is currently wilderness will be transformed. What feels like desert at the moment will be abundance. And then there are also hints of redemption to come through Messiah. So the language of verses 5 and 6 images the transformational ministry. We can move on to 5 and 6, Dave. Sorry, if we can just move the slide on to one with 5 and 6 on. Thank you. The language of 5 and 6 images the transformational ministry of Jesus. And that was referenced, wasn't it, in the New Testament passage, in the Gospel passage, where John's disciples come to Jesus. And uh, Jesus responds to them and says, look, you're seeing that people are being healed, the blind are able to see, the lame are able to walk. This was something foreseen all those years before. And there are also hints of the end times when God will call his people to himself, and those who oppose him will face his judgment. So when we're in mourning of the state of our world, or discouraged in any way, Scripture reminds us of God's sovereignty and his ultimate victory. We may feel like those described in verses 3 and 4, either physically or metaphorically. Those with feeble hands, those with knees that give way. Anyone experienced that this morning as they got out of bed? Knees that give way. Those are fearful hearts. But as we look to God, he brings hope and a future. 
and so we can hold on to God's promises. We can also sing the Lord's song in a strange land by walking the way of holiness. Now, holiness is a bit of a strange word, isn't it? It can sometimes sound a bit out of reach. Or it may be that we're fearful of coming across with a sort of holier-than-thou type attitude. But walking the way of holiness, surely, is simply about living to please God. Living a life which enables us to flourish as God intended. Three weeks today, at uh, almost this exact time, I'll be speaking at Hazelmere, at our New Year reunion camp. We've got 50 or so teenagers, big group of leaders, and it's a chance for those who've been with us in the summer and at other times to come back together and uh, really celebrate uh, in different ways. And I'll be um, speaking on, we're doing a series on the book of Colossians, and I'll be speaking on that morning on Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And that is a chapter which begins with a call to set our hearts and minds on things which are above, before going on to highlight the contrast between the things that need putting to death on one hand, so that's, it lists uh, sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, greed, on one hand, and then the attributes which should mark the life of a believer, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. You've got those two contrasting lists. The first list is destructive and self-centered. The second is life-giving and affirming. It's a way of holiness. Surely there's no contest as to what we should desire as God's holy chosen people. We should aspire to lives of holiness and allow God's spirit to mold and shape us. Holiness is something beautiful and precious, and it's within our grasp because of Jesus. And as we live lives which are different, just maybe some will say, like those who persecuted the early church, see how those Christians love one another. And so we sing the Lord's song in a strange land as we claim his promises and trust in his promises as we walk the way of holiness, and then thirdly, as we proclaim the good news with confidence, proclaiming it in our words and in our actions. <coughs> That's the picture we get of the redeemed people of God in verse 10 in Isaiah chapter 35. There's an image of the people returning to Jerusalem in triumph, and Isaiah proclaims, they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's a picture of complete transformation compared to what they were experiencing at that particular moment. The transforming work of God. Hands no longer feeble. Knees no longer buckling. Hearts set free from fear. Whilst we may not yet be at home in the new Jerusalem, our residency is guaranteed, so we can hold our heads up high right here, right now. 
1968, a little-known vicar in the Northwest wrote a hymn for a, a clergy gathering. His name was Edward J. Burns. And his hymn went like this, and it's a real proclamation of the gospel of Jesus that we can proclaim with confidence. We have a gospel to proclaim, good news for all throughout the earth. The gospel of a saviour's name, we sing his glory, tell his worth. Tell of his birth at Bethlehem, not in a royal house or hall, but in a stable dark and dim, the word made flesh, a light for all. Tell of his death at Calvary, hated by those he came to save. In lonely suffering on the cross, for all he loved, his life he gave. Tell of that glorious Easter morn, empty the tomb, for he was free. He broke the power of death and hell, that we might share his victory. Tell of his reign at God's right hand, by all creation glorified. He sends his spirit on his church to live for him, the lamb who died. Now we rejoice to name him king. Jesus is Lord of all the earth. This gospel message we proclaim. We sing his glory, tell his worth. What a fantastic hymn and what an amazing sort of creedal statement, really, of what we believe, what is at the heart of the gospel. Now, we may not get the opportunity to share uh, the gospel in quite those words, and that probably wouldn't be appropriate anyway in most circumstances we find ourselves. But to go out into the world with that sure knowledge of what God has done for us, and being able to share that as God gives us opportunities in different ways. That's how we can sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Just a reminder of those three things. We can sing the Lord's song in a strange land as we hold on to God's promises, as we walk in the way of holiness, and as we proclaim the good news with confidence. And as we come into, later into this Advent season, as we come to our Christmas carol services tonight and next Sunday and other opportunities in the weeks ahead, as we distribute the, the cap hampers and as we, uh, different people are singing carols in uh, some of the nursing homes in the area, let's not be shy in proclaiming this message of hope and transformation. Our experience of exile will be short-lived because we can trust in the promises of God seen throughout scripture and just as true for us today as they were for the Israelites all those years ago. Amen.